minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. We've got listeners from Flinders Island, between in Bass Strait, right up to the tip of the Northern Territory. West Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, South Australia, ACT, and the list goes on and on. Courtesy of the Community Radio Network, my name's Joseph Toscano, this is the Anarchist World This Week. The producer is uh, the great, talented Kelly Whitworth. Um, also, this program is also heard on uh, 4 Z. so in Brisbane. So, um, so what's Anarchy all about? Why is it such a popular program? At least three people listen to it. Well, it's very simple. Anarchos means without rulers. It's a society without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You kneecap, not them, but the structures which give them the ability to determine the lives of hundreds of millions of people, as we're currently seeing around the world, whether it's Mr. Putin, Mr. Putin, Mr. Biden, the list goes on and on, you know, whether it's so-called dictatorial or democratic. Well, it's not really democratic. The fact is that inequalities in power and wealth which give people the opportunity, small groups of people, to determine the lives of hundreds of millions of people. A very simple concept. There's nothing radical about it. There's nothing revolutionary about it. exceptionally conservative. It's the type of society that we may have had thousands of years ago at the beginning of the uh, human journey uh, where we needed to cooperate not compete, but cooperate in order to survive the hostile environment we found ourselves in. Now, you may find this hard to believe, but Australia is a bastion of fundamentalism. Now, you all know about Hindu fundamentalism, Christian fundamentalism, Muslim fundamentalism, Califumpian <laughs> Uh, I shouldn't laugh at my jokes, Califumpian fundamentalism. But did you know that this country is a bastion of fundamentalism? What we have in this country is capitalist fundamentalist fundamentalism. And in the West, it's the same concept, capitalist fundamentalism. If you think about your life today, what you're going to do today you don't have a piece of plastic or access to the net, you know, to move your money around, 
or cash in your pocket, you're going to have a you're going to have a lot of problems in order to access the basic necessities of life. And what we've seen over the last forty year forty plus years around the globe is the rise and rise and rise of capitalist fundamentalism. As I speak today, you would realise that across the country that uh, childcare workers have um, shut down the industry because they're unhappy with the situation they find themselves in. And uh, I've been a bit surprised that we haven't actually talked about, or you hear about in the media or even among the trade unions, the fundamental reason for the situation in the early childhood development area. And it's very simple. Privatisation. We've seen the privatisation in this country from birth to death. Every aspect of society has been privatised and has been privatised through a deregulation, globalisation, corporatisation agenda. And it's been privatised because we're told the concept that the public is bad, public housing is bad, public services are bad and inefficient, public health is bad, and the list goes on and on. For 40 years, every moment of every day, we hear the idea that it's the privatised sector which is able to provide the goods and services and interactions which are necessary for a successful society. That's what capitalist fundamentalism is all about. So let's look at all these wonderful, wonderful attempts to privatise basic services. Let's look at it. Qantas. Total disaster. Privatisation has been a total disaster. Early childhood development. Letting the private sector dominate that particular service. Total disaster. Disaster for the workers in it. Disaster for the guardians and parents who access those services. Let's look at energy, the privatisation of production, distribution of energy. Total disaster. The privatisation of the Commonwealth Serum Laboratories. The total disaster that occurred as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic was highlighted by the fact that we didn't even have a pharmaceutical manufacturing capacity in this country to deal with the most basic health issues. The privatisation of Medicare private or Medibank private by Mr Abbott. Total disaster. 
those people who had the who are fortunate enough to have the disposable income to access private health care have found that the type of health care they now receive in the private sector, the cost has escalated dramatically, although they have so-called private health insurance. The privatisation of this country's airports, total disaster. The privatisation of this country's ports and the privatisation of the Port of Melbourne by the uh, Andrews government, led government in this in the, in the state of Victoria, another disaster. And you know why privatisation is a disaster? Oh, yeah, and I forgot the privatisation of telecom, which is now called Telstra. Now, that was, that's a beauty. Now, there are two main players in the telecommunications industry. There's uh, Telstra and Optus. Now, I don't know if you know this, but when telecom was privatised, some of the first people who were very keen to buy up those shares was Optus. Optus is actually an arm of the government of the Singapore government-run superannuation system. So good luck to them. We privatise an essential service. They come in, set up a. Uh, a uh, competitor to Telstra, make a profit. That profit goes back to Singapore to assist Singaporeans, you know, in their old age. Great, great thing. Wonderful thing. But why can't we do it for ourselves? Then you've got the privatisation of the bank, the Commonwealth Bank. And privatisation is a disaster for And obviously, let's not forget the privatisation of the aged care sector. What a success that capitalist, fundamentalist uh, initiative was. What a success where elderly people are fed on two or three dollars a day, where workers are exploited. So how do you make a profit? Oh, and I just forgot, currently... We've seen the privatisation of Meals on Wheels. <laughs> it gets better. And then you've got the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which has been ripped off by outsource. Not just people ripping it off, you know, through criminal activity, but ripped off mercilessly by the private sector. And the list goes on and on. So don't tell me that capitalist fundamentalism which is built on deregulation, which, as you know, is a simple concept, is you take away all those rules and protections which protect workers and consumers and you let the private sector go hell for leather to make a buck. And when I hear the new Prime Minister of Great Britain, I like that word, Great Britain, tell us that uh, she's going to create an aspirational society, This, that she's going to be the neoliberals, neoliberal. Oh, you have to laugh to yourself. I mean, capitalism, private investment of private profit may be okay for certain industries, but when it comes to essential services, when it comes to fundamentally important services, and I forgot the privatisation of water in this country, and the privatisation of all those cooperatives we had 
the demutualization of the mutual societies, which has resulted in companies like the Australian Mutual Provident Fund, you know, another total disaster, the demutualization of that particular company. So the list goes on and on. But we never seem to learn. We never seem to learn. See, public assets, especially in areas of basic human need, play a fundamental role, not just one, in providing services, two, in giving consumers the ability to complain effectively by complaining to their political representatives, not to some bodgy organisation which is set up by government to regulate the private sector. Many public instrumentalities make a profit and that profit can be used to expand that public instrumentality or that profit can go to the Treasury. Things like in Victoria, the Transport Accident Commission, which I understand the Andrews-led Labor government is very keen to privatise if they win the next state election. And the list goes on and on. Second thing, having a publicly owned asset is the fact that it provides real competition in the marketplace. Because real competition can't exist in a duopoly or a economic system where you have three or four major corporations dominating various aspects of, a, of life in our society because they tend to work together. They tend to not compete. And it's only when you've got a publicly owned asset, like when we had the Commonwealth Bank, that many of the fees and charges which you are now charged didn't exist. So publicly owned essential services provide better employment opportunities for the people who work them, better services, uh, divert profits into the Treasury and provide a basis where there is real competition in society. So we are now reaping the benefits of an ideologically driven agenda. And that ideologically driven agenda is capitalist fundamentalism. Capitalist fundamentalism is much more dangerous than any type of religious fundamentalism because as far as religious fundamentalism is concerned, we may be able to push it aside, laugh at it, not in all countries, but in many. But as far as capitalist fundamentalism is concerned, it determines every moment of our existence. This morning I had the pleasure of being in the Melbourne CBD in the early hours of the morning and I saw the the consequences of capitalist fundamentalism. As I sat on the little seat watching the world go by, I noticed homeless men go from rubbish bin to rubbish bin to rubbish bin, not looking just for cigarette butts, but looking for food to eat.
that is that is the essence of what happens in a society which somehow thinks that private investment for private profit is the only way forward. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on freecr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. I've got an important event coming up on Sunday. And if you live in the city of Melbourne or find yourself in Melbourne, on Sunday, the 11th of September, as the convener for the West Parkland Rent Collective, I extend an invitation to you to attend the West Parkland Rent Collective gathering at 838 Collins Street, Docklands. Go to the front door, walk around the side, out the back. There's a big meeting room, uh, food area, meeting area. And so what? why am I harping about West Parkland independence? And I'll tell you why. Because you see in our society, we have acceptable and unacceptable human rights violations. I mean, there's human rights violations around the world. But some we accept and some we find totally unacceptable. And unfortunately, it seems to be our, our government's ideological positioning seems to be the determining factor, not the human rights violations. I'll give you an example. Now, I have no doubt that the United Nations report, which was released in the last 24 hours, regarding human rights violations in Sichuan province in China, regarding the Uyghurs, a very small Muslim minority in China, is totally true. I don't put it past the Chinese government to be involved in that type of activity. It is normal for a totalitarian society to try to contain any sign of dissent. Harrowing is the description of the situation there. Harrowing. But, and let's not forget that Sichuan province is actually part of China, okay? It's not Tibet, which was invaded in the 60s, early 60s. It is or has been, it is part of China, okay? So the, human, the United Nations does an investigation into the situation of the Uyghur Muslim minority, and they come up with a quite a harrowing detail of uh, human rights violations. Now, when we look at the human rights violations carried out by the House of Saudi, on the Arabian Peninsula, they are just as horrendous. Public executions, misogyny, you name it. Liquefying your opponents, a feudal monarchy, which the West has been 
you know, supporting. We saw Mr President Biden turn up there a few weeks ago. We have no problem with those human rights violations. Occasionally somebody in the media jumps up and down, but as far as our governments are concerned, well, they're acceptable human rights violations. Let's move to the state of Israel and the plight of the Palestinians. Now, for decades, we have seen the way Palestinians have been treated by successive Israeli governments. And we seem to accept, Australian society seems to accept, that these human rights violations, especially in Gaza, the world's largest prison with over 2 million people, it's acceptable because the Israeli government is part and parcel of our alliances. So although there are human rights violations every minute of every day in the occupied territories, we accept them. We don't, you know, we don't accept human rights violations in Sichuan province, in China, but we do accept them in Saudi Arabia, we accept them in Yemen, we accept them in the occupied Palestinian territories. Coming closer to home, we have the same issue as far as West Papua is concerned. Over 500,000 people from a population of a little over a million have died in the last 50 years as a direct and indirect consequence of the Indonesian occupation of West Papua. Today, as I speak in West Papua, there is one Indonesian soldier for every one adult West Papuan male in that colony. Think about it, 220,000 Indonesian troops stationed in West Papua. 220,000. If you look at the services, the health, the education that West Papuans receive under Indonesian occupation, you can see it's totally third rate. I could go on and on. Torture extrajudicial executions, imprisonment, people shot dead for displaying the West Papuan flag, and the list goes on and on. Now, these are acceptable human rights violations as far as the Australian government is concerned, successive Australian governments, irrespective of their political views. Now, when we go to China, not that we're invited these days, we're always happy to raise the issue of human rights violations in China. But when we go to Indonesia, we never mention, under the pain of excommunication, never mention the human rights violations which are occurring 70 kilometres off our shore 
we not only don't mention it, we, all, all, we train Indonesian troops in counter-insurgency counter measures, free of charge in this country, to go back to West Papua and con continue the extrajudicial executions and torture and pauperisation of that land. Well, I personally don't think this is acceptable. And I know that almost every listener to this program knows it's unacceptable. Totally unacceptable. Human rights violations are human rights violations. Whether they're carried out by our ideological enemies or whether they're carried out by our ideological friends. And in this little discourse, I haven't even mentioned the human rights violations that this country is based on as far as this country's First Nations people are concerned. I haven't even mentioned that. I haven't mentioned that. So what's the West Papua Rent Collective? The West Papua Rent Collective was set up eight years ago to give West Papua refugees who've got permanent asylum and citizenship in this country the ability to coordinate the West Papuan independence struggle around the world. And we raise the money to pay the rent to keep the office functioning. The Rent Collective has no input into the running of the office or the independence struggle. That is a West Papuan question. It's their business. What we do is we raise the money to pay the rent to give them the opportunity to use one of the few offices around that's, that's established around the world to push for West Papua independence. Now, if you think the United Nations investigations into the uh, torture and imprisonment of Uyghurs in Sichuan province is good, well, how about the fact that other West Papuans have been trying to place the question of West Papuan independence on the UN decolonisation agenda? They have not been able to do it. And although successive Indonesian governments have said they will allow the United Nations to conduct an investigation in West Papua, the United Nations has not been allowed in West Papua. But China didn't allow the United Nations to conduct an investigation in China. That investigation which was conducted regarding the Uyghurs', Uyghurs plight was conducted outside China. So why can't the United Nations currently conduct an investigation into what's happening in West Papua and put out a report which is just as harrowing as the one we've seen in China. Think about it. You know, as I said, some human rights violations are acceptable and others aren't. So let's get back to the West Papua Rent Collective. Now we have about 70 to 80 people, or about 15 short currently, who donate a dollar a day to the West Papua Rent Collective. And every year we have three or four gatherings at the office for rent collective members and interested people to come along and learn about 
that struggle, which is occurring less than 70 kilometres from the Australian coast. Less than 70 kilometres. And this Sunday, the 11th of September at 1pm, we'll have a West Papua lunch, which you're all invited to. Just come to the front at 838, walk around the back and hey presto, that's where everybody will be gathering because we need a bit of space. Uh, lunch is free for West Park and Rent Collective members. Uh, if you're not a member, a donation would be appreciated. Then we have Sophie Cho. And if you'd like to listen to that interview, which I did last week on Radical Australia, you can go to freecr.org.au forward slash Radical Australia and listen to the interview. Now, Sophie spent some time in West Papua. She's now banned from going to Indonesia. And uh, she did some research with the local West Papuans on what's happening regarding the oil palm plantations, which are now seeing the destruction of the sago palm, which is fundamental to the existence of many West Papuans. And uh, she's written a book about it, done research on it, but more importantly, been an activist, she wants to get these ideas across. So she will be, she's coming down from Sydney to talk about the research. That'll be at 2pm. And then later on we'll hear from some West Papuans regarding the continuing struggle in West Papua. And then later on we'll have having an auction to help augment the deficiencies we have in the West Papuan uh, rent collective. So come along, have a look at the office, speak to the people, speak to the activists, and hopefully you'll be able, you'll be in a position to join the West Papua Rent Collective. You know, it's not a huge undertaking, a dollar a day. And the fascinating thing about the members of the West Papua Rent Collective, they're basically people on fixed incomes, low incomes, social security benefits. None of the rich and powerful turn up and say, oh, here we are, there's the rent for a year. Thanks very much. Well, it's not tax deductible. It's not tax deductible. I assume that's the problem, isn't it? Everything has to be tax deductible if you're going to, you know, support something these days, isn't it? So come along this Sunday, one pm. I'll be there. I'll be the auctioneer. We'll be auctioning some interesting things. Two uh, pieces of furniture made by David McKenzie from recycled timber. There will be a bag of goodies made by Margaret the Maker. There's a fro blanket, crocheted, hand crocheted fro blanket made by Jan Bartlett from the popular Drive Home program on Tuesday here at 3CR. There's also a wall hanging from West Papua and a bark painting from West Papua, so it should be a great, great afternoon. Uh, Meet interesting people, have good conversations, good food, Interesting speakers. There's also the West Papuan shop there if you want to uh, buy some goodies for Christmas presents. And the list goes on and on. So you're all invited. I don't care if there's a thousand people. The more the merrier. You're all invited. Let's move on. Did you know that Michaela Cash failed maths at primary school? She thinks one plus one plus one equals two. You know that? If you wonder who Michaela Cash is, well... She's one of these, you know, neoconservative types. 
one plus one plus one equals two. You like that? One plus one. And then why am I saying that? Why have I been so cruel to poor old Michaela? Well, she was frothing at the mouth regarding this new, well, this old concept of workers being able to kind of bargain across a number of industries. And she said, you know, there's the unions and the Australian people and the unions are fighting against the Australian people, you know, the unions and the Australian people. And I'm thinking to myself, Michaela, you forgot the corporate sector. If you've got the very boys and girls that pay for your, your bills, the corporate sector, it's not the unions, which only represent about 20% of workers, and it's not just the Australian people. It's that small section of society that dominates that means reduction, distribution, exchange and communication. The corporate sector, which has made extraordinary amounts of money at the expense of everybody else. There are three people in the room. It's a menage a trois. It's the unions, it's the Australian people, and it's the corporate sector. So one plus one plus one equals three, not two. And that's the beauty. Now, the other liberal luminary who I'd like, who I'd like to, to see shut up, zip up his mouth is the leader of the opposition, the Prime Minister-in-waiting, Mr Dutton. Mr Dutton. Unbelievable. The friend of the disenfranchised, you know, one of the architects of the, uh, you know, that very famous program, RoboDebt, Mr Dutton. And the friend of small and micro business, here they are, trying to present themselves as the friend, friend of small and micro business. Well, I'm afraid, Mr Dutton, I think most people realise that you're not the friend of small and micro business. Although small and micro business employ over 50% of the Australian population that are working, about 6 million people, most of them go out of business within five years. And why do they go out of business? They go out of business because of policies which have been introduced by the Liberal National Party which basically makes it almost impossible for smaller micro-businesses to compete against corporations which dominate various aspects of human existence in in our society. You know? And the tragedy is that most small and micro-businesses think it's the their employees that are the problem. It's the trade unions that are the problem. Well, the fact is, if you go to many European countries, you'll find that small and micro-businesses are protected by legislation as far as unfair competition from the corporate sector. But not in this country, although we've got the toothless tiger, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, the fact is they are hamstrung by, one, a lack of people to carry out prosecutions, and two, legislation you can drive a bulldozer through as far as the competition regulations are concerned in this country. Even in the home 
of capitalist fundamentalism, the US of A, you have antitrust laws which don't allow a particular corporation to dominate more than 30% of business in a particular sector. We don't have any antitrust laws. We have so-called anti... We also have competition laws to ensure competition exists in a corporate-based society. But the reality is they don't work. They don't work. There's no protection. So if you're in small and micro-business, it's these pro-corporate agri-business policies which are constantly pushed by the Liberal National Party which are the problem. It's not your employees who are trying to survive. They're the problem. Let's move on. Now there are consequences. There are consequences to living in a capitalist fundamentalist society and these consequences are personal. They're individual. Now, we're constantly told in a capitalist, fundamentalist society, the problem is you. You're the problem. I'm the problem. But you're the problem, aren't you? You're the square peg that won't fit into that round hole. You're the problem. And it's interesting in terms of suicide prevention that over the last 24 hours there's been a little bit of... uh, research put out regarding the increasing levels of anxiety or stress suffered by the Australian society. And I thought, oh, it'll be COVID-19. That'll be number one, COVID-19. And about 70% of Australians have said, and this is research, obviously, not, you know, 70%, that they are under increasing stress, increasing anxiety. And we see this with the plethora of mental health issues which are not genetically determined, which are determined by the type of society we find ourselves in. So what do you think are the main issues which are causing so much distress in this so-called, you know, land of milk and honey. What do you think? Why do you think 70% of people feel an increasing amount of stress? Now, me being an idiot, I thought it's all about COVID-19. It's all about mandates. It's all about, you know, vaccinations. Well, maybe because I'm a medical practitioner, I tend to gravitate towards that area. But it's not. 40% said it was about financial pressures financial pressures 40 percent who are suffering increased anxiety and stress is about financial pressures and we now have a reserve bank which keeps increasing interest rates in order to bring inflation down and i'll talk about inflation later on financial pressures the next major component of increasing stress and isolation, and this you'll find interesting, sorry, increasing stress and anxiety, and I'm sure you'll find this fascinating because if you're listening to this program, you may be, you know, suffering from this. Isolation and loneliness. 30% felt 
It was isolation and loneliness. Obviously, to some degree, this is a direct consequence of the COVID-19 mandates, but to a significant degree, it is the type of society we've become, a totally privatised society. You know, I'm all right, Jack, stuff everybody else. So isolation and loneliness, financial pressures, isolation and loneliness, and what came in third? Well, you know, housing. Housing security. And that's another area we didn't talk about, was it? When we talked about privatisation at the beginning of the program. The privatisation of the housing sector. No competition. The private sector dominates the housing sector. With the privatisation of public housing, we have seen competition taken out of the marketplace. And everybody's got these fancy ideas. Mr Albanese's, you know, talking with the super funds to invest in social housing, you know, private housing. People talk about community housing, private housing, affordable housing, private housing. You think a little boy like Mr Albanese, who grew up in a housing commission in New South Wales, is now the Prime Minister of this country, would actually get the word public out of his mouth and speak about public housing? Look at the disaster. So what have we done in order to improve housing? Well, we have given people on Social Security benefits rent assistance. What happens when you give people rent assistance? The owners of properties increase the rent. Gobble up the rent assistance. So instead of building public housing... We are now trying to form contracts with the private sector to build community housing. How ridiculous. So, it's your fault, isn't it? It's your fault you're depressed. It's your fault. It's anxious. Get a self-help book and, you know, you'll be able to, you know, fight your way out of it. Obviously, what we are seeing is a direct consequence of capitalist, fundamentalist thinking and relationships that dominate almost every aspect of Australian society. And that neoliberal ideological agenda which has seen the privatisation of so many essential services and the mess that's been made not only of the provision of those essential services but the mess that's been made to humanity, to individuals, to families, to communities. We as a people should not be in this position. We have 25.5 million people living on a bloody continent, resource-rich, What happens to the resources? They're given away to the private sector. Mr Twiggy makes a few more billion dollars this year and we all say, oh, isn't that wonderful? Come on, we're better than this. I cannot believe that every week for the last 45 years I've walked into this bloody studio and talked about these ideas.
there is such little interest that we think that the way forward is to continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. That's what fundamentalism is about. It's about not seeing the reality that we face because we think that the principles that this society is based on is the way forward. Now, I'm sure that if the last 40 years you've made the same mistake, that eventually you would get the message. But it seems that governments can't get the message. And why can't get the message? It's very simple. Because the very institutions which are there, which theoretically are there to support us, you know, government, there to support us, to represent our will, it's the fact that these very institutions have been subverted. Look at the situation with globalisation, corporatisation. Now, currently, many people in the world are finding themselves in a difficult situation as the Chinese and the Russian you know, oligarchs you know, go on their little jaunts. But the fact is that it's the, their little jaunts are based on the idea that they're self-contained. They, are, they don't need anybody else. We just saw in the last 24 hours the Chinese government agreeing to pay the Russian government in yen and rubles for their energy. At the same time, we've seen the shutdown of energy supplies to the West because the West pursuing the dollar decided that they don't actually need to produce energy, that we can always get it from Russia. The fact is that Russia is totally self-contained. They haven't got an inflation problem currently. It's the same with the Chinese. They're self-contained. They can look after the interests of their people, irrespective of the type of government they have, irrespective of what we think about their human rights records, and irrespective of how repressive they are. The fact is they're self-contained. They can look after themselves. They don't need us. And that's the dilemma. We now find ourselves in a situation where we need them. Because that was the way to make a quick buck, wasn't it? Close down Australian industries, transport them to China or get the Chinese to produce it at a much cheaper rate, forgetting about people. Then we have a skill shortage which we created because we refuse to, you know, train locals because it's cheaper to bring in imported people with skills, steal them from third world in developing countries. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? So the concept that globalisation and corporatisation improves our position as a nation, as a people, is totally wrong, 100% wrong. It's not so-called unlimited trade with no barriers between equals, because it's not unlimited trade with no barriers between equals, it's between unequals. It's about being able 
to look after our own interests. Think about it. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Jeff Toscano. Now, how's the Toscano for Mulgrave campaign going? Well, it's chugging along very slowly, as I keep saying. If you're interested in being involved in a campaign regarding uh, basic human needs, well, I, I suggest that you come on board. Hopefully by the end of the month we'll be able to launch the campaign. So what do you want? Positive human rights reforms? Sorry, po- positive human-focused reforms or more construction? As far as the people of Victoria is concerned, they've got an election on the 26th of November. They can make up their minds. But uh, as I said before, I'm interested in standing in the electorate of Mulgrave. haven't made a decision yet. Still looking for enough people to nominate me to stand in that electorate. So if you live in Mulgrave and Springvale and you're interested in positive human-focused reforms, which are based on increasing taxation for a lot of people who don't pay tax at a state level, and that doesn't mean you, because those type of people don't listen to the Anarchist World this week. Well, give us a call on 0439 395 489. That's 0439 395 489. Or email me at info at pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. It's not about being elected. It's about causing policy shifts in government policies to look at human-focused reforms as far as food security, health, energy, education, housing and recreation is concerned. Isn't that extraordinary? Here I am, a septogenarian, been involved in a mildly reformist campaign and it's considered to be radical. Why should I be wasting my time on a mildly reformist campaign? to ensure that the people of Victoria and the people of Australia have security as far as their basic human needs are concerned. The tragedy is, there's few of us left. Most people are on the capitalist, fundamentalist worshippers. They worship, they kneel, they beg, they saliva at the altar of capitalist fundamentalism. They think this is the way forward. Well, we need people to swim against the tide because we all are are capable of making conscious choices, conscious choices about what we are going to do. We can go with the flow, bitch and complain, do nothing about it, or we can swim against the tide. Now, swimming against the tide is tiring. It's dangerous. You can be swept away and drowned. And you may never reach your destination. But at least when you're swimming against the tide, doesn't matter how many few of us are swimming against the tide, other people may see us and say, well, maybe, maybe that's the way forward. And last but not least, I'd just like to talk about African migration to Australia. Look, over the last few months, I have been shocked and it's very hard to shock me, I can assure you. I mean, 47 years as a doctor, you see everything. You know, 50-plus years as a radical activist, you've experienced everything. 45 years as a radical broadcaster, you've heard everything. But I've been shocked 
by the extent of the racist comments I've heard regarding the handful. It's about 0.6% of the population of African migrants that find themselves in this country. And I can understand how this hatred has been fostered to dog whistle, to help the Liberal National Party in its uh, attempts to gain government. The damage that was done in this state of Victoria to the African community, the minuscule African community, we're talking about 50 to 60,000 people in a population of 7 million, this is in Victoria, through the Guy-led, Guy Matthews-led Liberal Party opposition at the last state election four years ago, and their mates in the Herald, you know, Herald Sun and the uh, Murdoch media has been incalculable. The racist comments I have heard over the last few months have been unbelievable. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. The producer of the program is Kelly, Kelly Whitworth. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. And thank you to Barbara and Graham for the lovely letter. You can, uh, yes, I do receive letters, but if I don't have a return address, I can't answer them, can I? I'm not that powerful or have vision. All right. uh, YouTube, public interest before corporate interest. And if you do live in Springvale, Springvale or Mulgrave in Victoria and you know somebody who lives or you know somebody who lives in that electorate and you're interested in positive, human-focused reforms, well... Give us a buzz, nominate us so we can stand against uh, the one band, one, what? One man band, Mr. Daniel Andrews. Remember this Victorian Labor Party, as far as it exists, is almost dead. So think about it. Ring us, email us, ignore us. Doesn't really matter. The important thing is go, go with the flow or swim against the tide. It's a conscious decision you've got to make. The fact is, if you go with the flow, there's no point complaining because you're part of the problem, not part of the solution to the problem. So swim against the tide. It's tiring, it's dangerous, but it's exhilarating. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network on your local community radio station across this country from Tasmania to the tip of Northern Australia. That plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse 10am every Wednesday Listen to the Anarchist World this week For an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, Lord, yeah.